Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been the minor league editor for the past five seasons or so, and more recently the became the deputy site manager. Joining me are Gaurav Vidak and Matt Powers, my usual running mates when we're talking about the minor leagues here on Road to Atlanta. Gaurav, how are you, buddy? Doing well. Doing well, and happy to be back on uh, on Road to Atlanta. Excited about uh, all these trades and discussing everything on tap for today. Matt, what have you been up to, man? Just watching a lot of games. That sounds about right with Matt, uh, the constant traveling. Uh, apologies in advance for not having an episode last week. I had some family uh, engagements that I had to hand, attend to, and it just kind of wasn't going to work out trying to get it recorded early with everyone else having work and other commitments. So we decided to take a week off, mainly because there was just kind of we were in this kind of dead period anyway where we are kind of waiting for the deadline to happen and we're waiting to see if there's going to be any moves, if there are going to be any promotions or anything like that. But now that the trade deadline has happened, we have seen some movement. We wanted to talk about some of the things that have happened, uh, as well as take some uh, listener questions as well. I imagine this ep- episode won't last quite as long maybe as others, uh, although every time I've said that, generally we run over an hour anyway because it's us three talking about baseball, and that's just kind of what happens when we're talking. But um, to get first, the, the big news items is that we lost some prospects over the last few days, guys, and it's kind of weird because a couple of them we've been covering for a long time, and like for them to be gone is going to be actively weird. Uh, for those who aren't aware, uh, Joey Wentz, Colby Allard, Travis Demerit, and Tristan Beck all were dealt at the deadline to uh, for various teams, various relievers, and I guess I'll go to Garab first. Like, who's like the one guy you're going to miss the most of that group? Oh, it's it's really easy for me. That's definitely going to be Joey Wentz because I've always been. I, I know I've been hard at him because he's faced. You know, he's he's running with uh, he's running into problems with like dead arm and, and that kind of stuff, which is very worrisome. But I think of the group, he had the the highest potential ceiling, and it, it is tough to lose him. But when you get someone like Shane Green, and you really have to give up just a merit and and Wentz for him, it's you make that deal fifteen times out of ten. It was a wonderful. I think it's a wonderful trade for the Braves that not only is win now, but then you also had, don't give up too many. You don't you don't give up your high flight prospects, and uh, it's it's it was a great trade overall. Matt, what about you, man? It's hard to really say. I don't think there's anyone. I mean, maybe Wentz is probably the well. He's definitely the guy I ranked highest. Uh, Demer would probably be the toughest guy. That, to give up because he's right there in the path to the big leagues and without him especially with all the other moves that have happened recently that Gwinnett offense is not really worth watching even though their pitching staff is amazing so it's a mix between the both of them although in reality we really didn't lose anyone that strong overall so 
there is plus there too, so. Yeah, I'm gonna actually say that it's, I do, and I understand the, the, the reasoning for, for Wentz or if you're really believing in the, you know, the upside of demerit, but I've been covering Colby Allard since I started writing at Talking Chop, and I really rooted for the guy. He had his ups and downs in terms of like his velocity and really, really got to where he wanted to be or needed to be. You know, he had the injury with his back, and, you know, he kind of kept defying expectations and continuing to pitch well. You know, I've heard people say that he wasn't having a good year in AAA. Everyone needs to be kind of go looking at those qual- among qualified starters, those numbers that those pitchers are putting up, because no one's putting up good numbers in AAA right now, and largely has to do with the new baseball and, you know, how the ball is flying out of the park, and just no one is putting up particularly great pitching numbers right now. And Colby was right there with a lot of them at the top, so I, I thought he was having a good, I thought he was having a good year. It wasn't a great year, and I, I'm just gonna miss covering him. I'm a, he's a, just a stand-up dude, you know. He sent he sent me a quick message on, you know, as he was being traded, you know, you know, excited for the opportunity that he's gonna have in Texas. But you know, it's it's definitely a sad day, and it's 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 a reminder these are humans, you know, these are people that we've actually gone to really like, you know, we. We've talked at length about guys that we liked a lot that ended up not working out for for a variety of reasons. And, you know, for a lot of these guys, it was just hard to see a a realistic path for them to the major leagues. Travis DeMeritt, maybe if you squinch your eyes, he might have had the easiest path just because you could see him maybe being a bench bat, you know, this year or something like that. But I do think it's pretty – DeMeritt is a funny case for me because teams could have picked him – Twice in the rule five in the rule five draft, and they did not. And the Tigers, as soon as they got him, they selected his contract, and he's going to the major leagues. So it makes no sense. The Tigers easily could have picked him up in the rule five draft. They have holes everywhere, and now they trade for him. It's like one of the. I'm not going to say dumbest, but uh, I just don't. Yeah, I don't get that organization. Well, I mean, again, he put together the really strong year at AAA this year, and maybe they think that's that's a real thing. It could very well be a real thing. We, we've we kind of gone out at length to kind of what that trip, that baseball means for what a guy like Demerit. So, also, take a look at their lineup right now uh, and take out Castellanos. If you put him in there right now, you could really make the case. Well, it's not even making the case. He is one of their best bats right now. If you look at the OPSs of their starting guys right now, it's 547, 767, 484, 632, 639, 714, 716, 718. I mean, Demerit right now is one of their best eight bats. So it, that's hard it's to argue with. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm just happy that the guy's getting the opportunity. You know what I mean? And he might end up showing out. You know what I mean? And that would be great. You know, I, I want them, these guys to succeed. Um, but when you see a Wentz and you figure, you kind of think about how many got, how many starting pitchers are ahead of him, even as good as he he was, we didn't have him as a top ten prospect in the Brave system. But he was like, you know, right there, you know, eleven. I think we had him at eleven. You know, and most of us had him eleven to twelve range. A little bit of variance there. You know, it's not a crazy notion that he ends up performing well and ends up being a, a really a nice piece for the Tigers. You know, same thing goes for Demerit. You know, the numbers the previous years aside. He's been a guy who's been hitting all year. It's not been like, you know, like two crazy hot streaks that have kind of brought his usual, you know, batting 220 with a bunch of strikeouts back up. He's just been very consistent all year long. So I'm hopeful for these guys. You know, I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be like, we gave up on them too early or whatever. I mean, that's just the thing that happens, you know, with trades. But the Braves had a real need in the bullpen. They got the best bullpen arm on the market, and they didn't have any of their top 10 prospects to do so, which is wild to me that they were able to make that many upgrades without giving up a top 10 prospect in the system. You know, gave up some guys that have some real value. We, we liked Tristan Beck too. He was in our top 30. We, you know, we like all these guys. It's just not a, these are the deals that you have to make to, you know, contend in like really tough playoff races. And the Braves made real moves without having to give up a ton of assets. They could make a big, they could make a big trade this off season and they have all the bullets that they, well, I say all, they have most of the big bullets that they would have had, you know, before the trade deadline, so again, happy with the moves. It's kind of we're, we are sad to see these guys go. Uh, the other move that is it's tough is that uh, Luis Gohara was designated for assignment. I, we got yelled at a lot. I was actually surprised that we got yelled at as much as we did about not ranking Luis Gohara. You know, aside from the fact he was only like two minute two innings away from losing prospect eligibility anyway, the guy hasn't pitched barely any in two years. And if anyone thought that he was like had a realistic future with the Braves and like had like and believed strongly enough to like rank him highly. 
I don't know what to tell those people, Matt. I mean, like, are you that surprised that he was DFA'd? And, like, you, I mean, what, what do you think his future is going forward? I'm a little surprised that he was DFA'd a little, but not too much. Obviously, they know more about his status mentally and physically than what we do. So they had a lot more to go on to make that decision than anything that we're going on. We're kind of just stuck guessing that it doesn't seem good. So they might know that for a fact that he's never going to be the guy that we were hoping he was going to be in August, September of 2017. So it's hard to really say, but I'm a little surprised they just gave up on him. Rob, what about you, man? I mean, it, he has taken up a 40-man spot, hasn't pitched, like you said, in two years. It's not, it's not too, you, you know, you can't, you can't just continue to rely on him as a possible option. Uh, it looks like the, the, the team or the, the front office is beginning to think that this is the beginning of a, of a window for us. And if it makes sense, I mean, I, I totally understand it. And it's probably the move I would have made too. Like you just can't wait around for him. You don't know. There's so much more than just baseball wise. You know, you're talking mentally as well, how much he went through uh, with, with his parents and then like the whole trying to get back into baseball shape. But, like there's a lot of different aspects to this decision. I'm, I'm sure it was a difficult one for the Braves because you don't want to lose someone of that talent because he was DFA'd and there's no doubt in my mind someone's going to take a, especially a rebuilding team, someone's going to take a chance on him. So it's tough to see him, see him gone, but it was a, I believe it was a smart move by, by the front office. Yeah, it's a tough one just because we know he's super talented. We, we, we liked him a lot, but when it's shoulder injuries two years in a row combined with the conditioning issues he's had in the past, not pitching very much over the last couple of years at all. And, you know, having to have the surgery, there's only so much you can, there's only so many times you can just give the guy, have that guy on the roster when you have so many guys that you need to try to cram in there when you're about to be in the, the playoff stretch. You know what I mean? Like it's, again, I, 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 that was the only thing that I was a little bit salty about is people were treating Luis Gohara as this precious commodity that he just wasn't anymore. You know what I mean? It's not a, he, he hasn't been pitching. We don't know how long that that surgery is going to keep him out and what he's even going to look like when he pitches again. And people were projecting him like he was the same guy he was two years ago, and I don't think that's honest. And I don't think that that's the way to go about something like that. When Again, when a guy has like Tommy John surgery, you can take a little bet like, okay, this is generally how the timeline is, what the timeline is, and generally this is what they look like after their first Tommy John surgery. If people want to take a bet on that, so be it. But when we have like chronic issues and like, not just one issue, just kind of multiple issues with a guy who's barely pitched at all. I'm, I don't understand how you can realistically rank him at all. You know, it, it's not a matter of, you know, you can't change your, you can always change your mind after the fact if he comes back and he's really healthy. You know, we've seen comeback stories throughout baseball history, even in recent history, but just to rank him just because you remember what he was like a couple of years ago and just ignoring all the other stuff. I just never felt it was a particularly honest way of looking about things. It's just the best way I know how to describe it. Um, so we have all these moves. Most of the questions we've been getting, uh, at least that's what I've been getting is, you know, does that mean X or Y is going to get promoted some, sometime soon? So we've seen a couple dominoes already fall. Um, CJ Alexander has been promoted back to double A and Philip Pfeiffer has been gone, has gone to double A. As well, Rob, I'll go to you first. What do you kind of think of those promotions? I mean, obviously there's some roster holes in regards to you know some of these trades, but I mean, do you think those were the right guys to move? Absolutely. Uh, when we were going over, when I was going over the, the questions before we started, I kind of made my list, and I had uh, Pfeiffer replacing Wentz, I had Ian Anderson replacing Colby Allard, which you know still could be you know we, we don't have any type of announcement yet. I had uh, Pache or Waters replacing Demary, or they could go a completely different route and then go like a minor league, you know, a minor league free agent and keep Pache and Waters together at the same time. And then I had uh, Jake Higginbotham taking over for Beck. So, I, so far, I totally get it. The CJ Alexander thing, he, I mean, let's be real, he doesn't really, he doesn't necessarily deserve a promotion, despite how much I, I like him as a prospect. Uh, so it's, that is a pretty interesting one for me. Um, but as far as Pfeiffer, I thought that was the easily most logical choice. So you, you know, you look at the Florida roster, you look at the Rome roster. He's only the really, he's the only pitcher that's one, making that, capable of making that step to double A, and then two is, is performing at a pretty solid 
pretty solid level right now. So that one I, I totally understood. Matt, what about you, man? I feel exactly the same as Grav does. I mean, I definitely call Pache up immediately just to get him some AAA at-bats just because I think he is a guy that I would have on my playoff roster because he brings two things that we don't have to the team. I think he would be the best defender we have in the outfield and the best speed guy we have on the bases. So I think you have to make room for him in October and getting him some time in AAA and getting him some games in the major leagues once you clinch would probably be ideal before you try to just throw him into a playoff game. So that's pretty much how I see it. Yeah, I am much less in on board with simply like putting him on the playoff roster, but I think he's certainly the most deserving to be promoted. Uh, it's worth noting that the Braves did sign Lane Adams to a minor league deal, so it's entirely possible that they just slot him in uh, and with the idea that they're going oh, to be... Man. Yeah, yeah, you weren't yeah, aware. I completely, I completely forgot about that. That makes 100%. Yeah, that, that's probably the move. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, and again, I mean, like, other roster moves can happen to make any of these moves work, right? Like, you know, you, you can still, you, know, you can still promote Christian Pache. You can still promote Drew Waters if you really want to. You know, there's not guys that are on that roster right now. Cause again, Adam Duvall is playing in the playing in the majors right now. And you can, you can, you can find a spot for, for, for either of those two guys. So I'm, I, again, not not as on board. I want I want to see how he does in AAA, but I think he's ready for AAA, and I want to see kind of how his bat plays and his batted ball pro- profile plays with that new baseball because he's hitting more fly balls now. Obviously, the power is starting to develop, and I think he actually can start hitting um, significantly more home runs once he gets there. Uh, the the interesting about th- about CJ Alexander is obviously he has not had a good year. No no one's going to argue that when he before he got went down with the injury. He had like something like a 60% ground ball rate, which is pretty absurd. Since he's been back in Florida, it's been kind of more of his career norms of like, you know, a, a fly ball rate and kind of in the f- around 40% ground ball rates kind of gotten back to where it's supposed to be. And, you know, line drive rates, maybe pretty much right around career norms. He had, you know, when he was in rookie ball, he was in the 18 and he, it's at 21 right now. I do want to see now that he's out of the swamp that is the Florida Fire Frogs and the Florida State League, I want to see kind of how his bat looks and all that. His season, like when he was in when he was in Double A, his BABIP was 167. His BABIP in Florida since he's been back has been 190. That is not sustainably. That is not sustainable, especially with his batted ball profile. That is shockingly bad. And I would, I think that the idea that if you're the Braves were sort of treating his stint in High A like a rehab stint makes some sense because if you if you started him in the year Double A. And then you don't really have a spot for him, and you kind of want to get see him get his you know his bearings again. You put him down in Florida for a little while. I don't necessarily have as much. I don't think of it as a deserving or a not deserving thing, if that makes any sense. If you felt like he was good enough at the beginning of your Double A, and you like what you're seeing from like you know more of an metric standpoint rather than being purely results oriented, then I I don't mind the move to Double A. I worry that he will continue to struggle. And again, these these BABIP numbers and this kind of the sh- the sheer poor luck he's had is frankly kind of disturbing in a lot of ways. But I, there's things that to like about what he's been doing down in Florida. Uh, again, getting a bit unlucky, and but there's also things that about his batted ball profile that make me think that maybe good things are coming for him. Um, and as for Pfeiffer, not a guy that I was expecting to make it the Double A as a starter, but again, he the starts he's been putting up Florida, he's been looking really good. You know, Hayden Deal's kind of c- come back to earth a bit. And I was kind of wondering maybe he was gonna if he was gonna get the nod or not, but who knows? Like it's maybe it's just as simple as they want to make they want to give Hayden his time with specific pitching coaches, or they want to you know get certain guys with other guys. And with Pfeiffer in Pfeiffer's case, they kind of need to move him along to kind of see what they have with him in terms of where he at is age wise. So again, not moves I hate, and it's interesting to see how the other dominoes are gonna fall just because. You know, with Pache and Waters, you know, you could make a case for either one of them. Pache has been slumping a bit lately, but had a good game the other night. And, you know, he's had some bad bip stuff going to not go his way. And he's a, he is a guy. And like Matt said, that if you get him to Gwinnett, then he's just the Gwinnett shuttle away. And when you have a guy with that much upside, if he really shows out in Gwinnett, he makes, he could feasibly make your team better. 
uh, either for, you know, the kind of that stretch run leading up to the playoffs or maybe even making the playoff roster. I'm much less skeptical. I'm much more skeptical of that, but it's an option that's available to him if they have him in AAA. Whereas in Mississippi, you kind of, you're maybe, maybe you're not sure what kind of competition he's going against. You don't really know what his bat's going to look like using the new ball. So it feels like it makes the most sense to give him a try. Uh, Waters at this point has had the better offensive year. Um, you know, he's among the league leaders and really leaders in all major minor league baseball in terms of, you know, hits and extra base hits. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see what his, his swing and what his, his, what he would look like with the new ball too. So, you know, I could make, I could see cases for either one of those guys. As for Ian Anderson, I feel like that his promotion to AAA is just overdue at this point. He's been really, really good for a long time. It's clear that he's probably the one of, if not the best pitchers in the Southern League right now. And I want to see kind of what he can do with his arsenal up in AAA. It sounds like, you know, everyone's kind of just waiting around for it to happen. And so far it hasn't happened yet, but. Again, those are kind of the moves we were expecting. As for the, as for, um, Higginbotham, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for a move like that. He's a college guy that, you know, you feel like you could send him down to the high A and he would certainly not do poorly for himself. I really want to see Victor Vodnik get an opportunity though. He just came off the injured list, I think, and he's a guy that is really catching the eye of a lot of scouts and a lot of people in the industry. You know, high octane fastball really seems to be kind of finding his way as a starter. You know, had some blister issues, I think, was ultimately with the problem he was having, and it's some. So it wasn't like a long-term injury issue that he had. He was just trying to get his hands healed, and once he once he's healed, it's one of the more dynamic arms in terms of raw stuff in the Braves farm system. So maybe they give him a shot. I doubt it, just because he's a younger guy, and leaving him in Rome for at least one full year makes some sense. And then you kind of see what you have from there. Overall, though. Those moves in the lower minors seem much less uh, impactful roster-wise versus some of these ones that could happen in the higher levels. Um, Grab, I'm going to go to you first, top performers. Do you have anyone in particular that you want to highlight in terms of who's been doing really well in the minors before we start getting to the listener oh, questions? Man. I have I have quite a few, actually, and I'll just quickly run down the list. Uh, I know you, you, Trey Harris and William Harris are doing pretty pretty well, but the, we're talking about the last like four or five games. William Contreras has done well over the past ten. Uh, but the ones that really stick out to me, Michael Harris, his last 10 days, he's got 1.175 OPS. He's absolutely having a monster season down in, down in Orlando. And he's got me super excited about him. Very, very toolsy, very intriguing. Uh, another one is Caden Morton, who got off to a slow start, uh, back down in Orlando, but has since turned it on. Uh, his last, pe- his past 10 games, uh, as well as 1.108 OPS. He's got two doubles, two triples, looking real good. Bryce Hall. You know, he's been a monster the entire season. Uh, Grayson Janice, like we talked about before, the 27, last 10 games, he's got, the last 10, 10 days, he's got a almost 900 OPS with that reconstructed swing. So that's, that's awesome. And then finally, Vaughn Grissom. I know actually, Eric, you were talking about how you're a little surprised he doesn't have, you know, more, he's not hitting for more power, uh, which is surprising too. The guy's, uh, you know, again, he's one of those extremely raw, toolsy, very projectable players, but over his past 10 days, he's got 808 OPS as well. And I love seeing those young guys start to come together towards the end of the season because they've all played more games than they ever probably have before outside of like tournaments and that kind of thing. And now they have the added pressure of performing at a, at a professional level. And these guys are doing it this late in the season. Fantastic stuff. You know, it's important not to take too much stock in the first year, uh, player development right after the draft there's so much you have to you know there's so much you have to get used to and to see these guys kind of not necessarily make adjustments because we don't have access to that kind of information but to see them do this well this late very very promising I can't wait to see honestly I can't wait to see this Rome team uh, in 2020 that's going to be one that I might have to go opening night because that's going to have some stars on it Matt what about you man yeah, I feel the same way. Um, a huge fan of that talent that's right there in the GCL right now. I mean, those kids, especially the hitters, are exciting. Every day, it's somebody's doing something. Today, it was Michael Harris. Yesterday, it was Ron Grissom. Makai Backstrom just missed a couple days, but he has been performing well. Uh, Morton started to hit. Pelini's hitting a little bit. Uh, obviously, he got off to a slower start. Because coming from Connecticut to playing pro ball is quite an adjustment. But all these guys and all they're doing, one day after the next, somebody else is doing something that makes you take notice. The pitchers between 
um, Estes and Johnson are just making you take notice as well. I mean, they both got up to much later starts because they one of them signed a little later and the other one had some uh, stuff going on off the field um, family-wise. But they've both been great. And even though he's no longer included in this group, Tyler Owens has been just insane right now is the best way to describe him he not only pitched in the gcl but he's in danville now and he's dominating college level hitters as a high school arm so he's definitely a guy worth watching might be more of a test when he moves up because he doesn't really have a change up at this point but he's what he's doing right now is just remarkable and we haven't even gotten into guys like Bryce Ball and that that future Rome team is just something. I mean, I can't wait to watch that team next year. Yeah, a lot of exciting young talent. It's definitely an interesting draft class to evaluate just simply because of where these guys were drafted and kind of how the Braves went about things. But I do like kind of having all these sort of lottery ticket types that they have that have available to them. You know, Bryce Ball has been a really fascinating story. I really wish they would promote him to Rome, mainly because I want to get a better look at him. But it's pretty late in the season now, and, you know, you wonder if that's if it hasn't happened already, you know, if it's going to happen at all. But it's possible he ends up getting a cup of coffee there, just kind of get a look at him because, you know, other than – and I think Matt – mentioned this to us is that it sounds like he like had a minor injury concern for like a game or two but throughout the season he's been in Danville he's just been making a mockery he's the best hitter in I would say he's the best hitter in the uh, in the Appy League right now and you know leading the league in home runs leading the league in OPS or at least really close to it you know it's it's been wild watching what he's been able to do and seeing what he can do in full season ball is something I'm really excited about uh, as Garav mentioned you know Trey Harris is performing really well in double a you know, I, I wish they'd move him up in the lineup a little bit, but overall it seems like he's, you know, he hasn't missed a beat. The guy just knows how to hit and, you know, you can, you can hem and haw about what, you know, what position he's ultimately best play and what he should end up being doing as a pro. But with a, with a bat like that, that seems to be able to play regardless of what level he's at and as quickly as he's moving, that you can sort that out later. You know, William Contreras had a really rough start to double A and has been hitting him significantly better of late. Uh, Kyle Wright's been really good for, for Gwinnett. I wish that he could, you know, translate that success to Atlanta. Every time he seems to get called up, he has, you know, like two good innings and then the things, everything sort of, sorts of falls apart. Uh, which kind of gets back to the repeated question I have with him is just what happens, what happens to him when he goes through a lineup once. I feel like that his approach to hitters changes drastically and all of a sudden, when he's in the major leagues, it doesn't really seem to happen as much in the minor leagues. But when he's in, but when he's in the minor leagues, he's, on fire and just for whatever reason in the major leagues is it feels like his approach to pitching changes and it's just not something that serves him particularly well and he gets lit up so but overall for Gwinnett he's been playing pitching really well we've already kind of talked about some of the other guys that have been performing really well so this is the point of the show where we will get to our mailbag but really quick we're just gonna take a pause so we can listen to an ad support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L. VAN29.com. All right, guys, and we're back. We're going to be talking to you about your listener questions. We, we generally put these calls out. I like doing these every week because it allows us to talk about a v- variety of topics that we may not come across, we may not bring up ourselves. Uh, a lot of people, we are very fortunate to have well informed listeners, at least most of you. Some of you I need to 
have a conversation with. But that's it's interesting to see the things that are on people's minds, and also it kind of really engenders a lot of different types of discussion. So we're going to try to do these as much as we can going forward. Uh, as you know, we we have about a month left in minor league season, so we're going to be doing these once a week. After that, we're going to have to see kind of how often we're going to be doing the show, just because there's only so much you can talk about in the off season, uh, unless there's trades and you know all this other stuff. We're going to be talking about our prospect list, but that's more kind of down the road stuff. But the first question we got was uh, could you talk about the size of the jump between AAA and Major League Baseball for pitchers and more generally how difficult each jump in levels tends to be for players? I I had always assumed that going to AA was the biggest other than the jump to Major League Baseball. Alternatively, do you think that time in AAA can hurt a player? Matt, I'm going to take it to you first. So it's really hard to say at this point. I think what – Last year, there was not much of a difference going from double-A to triple-A as a pitcher. It got a little harder because the hitters were a little bit more patient, but guys with command issues specifically, if you didn't have command issues, not so much. But other than that, it doesn't change at all. But now that they changed the ball, it's probably quite a bit different, at least for me. I don't know if you see that the exact same way. I do have some specific thoughts on this, but I will throw it to Garab before I kind of share what kind of my general thoughts on it. In all honesty, I'm, I'm intrigued by your thoughts. If you want to go first, I'm more than happy to listen to you. Cause this was a, this was a bit of an interesting question. I know, I know for me, well, actually no, I, I want to hear what you say first, Eric. So traditionally for me, what I always found to be the toughest was going to double A. For a couple of reasons. One is just that the level of contra- competition that concentrates in double A between kind of journeyman types that just know how to hit, but maybe don't have the tools to, you know, make the next step and they kind of linger there for a while combined with top prospects that typically start concentrating and stay for a little while in double A. You take that into account with the fact that you go from a high A environment in the Florida State League that is very pitcher friendly and you can kind of get away with some things to the Southern League, which I wouldn't call it pitcher-friendly, and I wouldn't certainly wouldn't call Mississippi's home park um, hitter-friendly, but it's the, – the jump The jump in competition is real, and you also don't have a, a, some of the built-in advantages that you have in the Florida State League. So before this year, I would have said that that jump was the, was the biggest one. You know, developmentally, you know, the, the umpires are – Generally not particularly awesome really at any level. You'll probably see a little better ones in double A AA and triple A, but they're generally not great. So it's, you know, you'll, you'll see some of the same issues kind of crop up for guys who have command issues. If they're close to the strike zone, but maybe they have big time stuff, they might not get all the calls that you'd get all the calls you want. But I do think that that jump that Matt mentioned is the biggest one right now. Be triple A to major league baseball. Look, major league hitters are like, Wizards in terms of their ability to do anything against what these pitchers are doing. These guys are throwing high nineties with hammer curveballs and real changeups, and they're hitting home runs at a prodigious rate. So that is the biggest jump. Period. You know, the guys who can actually survive and get through the minor leagues and succeed in Major League Baseball, they're the best of the best. And it's, I know that's kind of an easy thing to say, and that's a bit of a cop out, but that jump is very big and very real. However, that jump between Double A AA and Triple A has become much more pronounced. Because the ball is physically different. And it's not only different in terms of how it's coming off the bats of, of players, but in terms of how balls feel when they're being thrown, the action on pitches, because again, it's just not the same, it's not the same ball they're throwing. So you're seeing guys who are in AAA and all of a sudden their curveball isn't doing what they're used to doing, their fastball isn't getting the movement they're used to, they're used to getting. And it could be an indicator of why some of these pitching prospects that are do so well up through AAA or up to the majors are all of a sudden struggling because literally the action on their pitches and the action on the ball is different because of the physical properties of the ball. So in short, the what differences exist? Hitters are a little more patient. They're better at hitting balls that are low in the zone. So those guys who are like really good ground ball pitchers, maybe early on they can throw a sinker. That doesn't work as well in the higher levels because one thing that higher level hitters have gotten extraordinarily good at is hitting balls that are low in the zone and hitting them for power. And it's kind of teaching people to make sure that they can elevate their fastball so that way the pitchers, hitters can't get under them and really drive them out of the ballpark. But overall, right now, I would say until there's some sort of parity, whether that be that means the, the Major League Baseball is used throughout the minor leagues 
or that there's at le- there's at least bleeding down further that that jump between double and triple A is right now. I feel like it's other than the one that jumping to the major leagues because that's just a completely different animal. That jump I feel like is the biggest one. What about you, think? What do you think, Rob? No, no, totally. I, I agree with you 100%. You know, in Triple A, you might be facing more two major league talents, like everyday major league talents in each lineup. For the most part, they're not going to be your super high polished, or not, not high polished, but they're not going to be the elite of the elite, which is every day you'll see in Major League Baseball. Uh, but I, I think you make it a very intriguing point. That jump between Double A AA and Triple A is pretty significant right now. Uh, it's probably, I, I'm not going to say more difficult, but it is a bigger, like a, a, a potentially, no, no, that's not, that's not right at all. Triple A to Major League Baseball will always be the most difficult jump for a pitcher simply because you're facing the elite of the elite every single day. Uh, but that said, like you said, Eric, which I think you made a very good point that, that jump from double A to triple A has definitely increased because it's a completely different game now. It's, it's nuts. You see people like, uh, you know, look at the Gwinnett lineup right now, Jack Lopez, Rafael Ortega. Ortega's got like a 900 OPS on the season. Like you don't see him pretty much ever being an everyday player in Major League Baseball, but he's killing it in AAA. So that, that skill wise, the quality of player you're gonna, you're gonna see every single day from AAA to majors is completely different. It's, it's a massive, massive upgrade just because you're not facing those guys one through eight. You might, you might face someone like a Joe Adele, like they did, uh, you know, yesterday. Congratulations on his promotion to AAA. Uh, you're gonna see like one or two of that. I mean, you're gonna see only one of him, but you know what I'm saying. Like that kind of tal- caliber talent in AAA, and they're not gonna be there for that long either. So, yes, I believe you are 100% right, Eric. I, I totally agree with you. All right, let's go on to our next question. Um, and this one is, this one's hard to gauge. Uh, and Grav, I'll throw this to you first. Do you think that Grayson Janista has found his stride again? Or do you think he's just on a hot streak? You know, this is a really interesting question. Uh, I still 100% say it's a hot streak. And why is that? Because we have a small sample of him being good. While a majority of the season, he still has a sub-700 OPS, which is virtually unplayable. Not Well, maybe not unplayable. There's a lot of down numbers. But like that's not something you want to see from an advanced college bat, especially against some of the people, like the, the quality of play he's playing against. Like, uh, I'm going to say it's a, it's a hot streak. That said, I know it takes time because he's made massive adjustments to pretty much everything he does in his entire swing. I'm more intrigued of how he finishes and to see if he's able to translate that to success at the beginning of the half or the beginning of next season. Because if that doesn't happen, I'm not going to lose him. He's not going to lose his, like, shine, but I really am going to have trouble focusing it, like, really evaluating him high, highly because it's just not there. You know, he's he's being good, he's been good during certain spurts, but majority of the season – it's been rough. It just hasn't been, it just hasn't been good. And I don't know how much I can say is because of those mechanical swing is, uh, swing changes and how much it has to do with talent. Uh, I think the talent's there, but for whatever reason it hasn't translated. So how he finishes and how he starts the, the 20, wow, the 2020. Oh my goodness. This year is flying by. The 2020 campaign is probably one of the most important things for me amongst any prospect in the Braves organization. Matt, what about you, man? Yeah, I mean, I have to feel the same way right there. It's got to be for me. So here's the thing about Janisa that is intriguing, right? Like we we heard when he was drafted and throughout that he has all this like, unlocked raw power and that we're going to have to make these swing adjustments to kind of help him get to that power. We saw a stretch kind of in like the early to mid part of July where he was starting to see more extra base hits, some home runs starting to come off his bat. All these things are positive developments, right? On this hot streak he's right now, which is real, he's batting like 438 over his last 10 games, which is a, a real number. That's all well and good. But one thing that I was looking for is not only you, we, it's good to see him getting hits, right? Like, you know, some of that's just bad bit 
you know, stuff going back his way, which wasn't going his way to begin with. He hasn't gotten an extra base hit since the middle of July. And this is when, this is during his hot streak when he's hitting the ball. So I'm wondering if these changes to his swing, at the very least, it's helping his hit tool because he's actually making contact with the ball again. But we're not seeing that extra base production that you'd like to see from a guy who has all that raw power in his bat and is making mechanical adjustments to his swing that allow him to get the loft that he needs. Now, this could all change. And again, we're talking about a sample of what probably, I don't know, that's about 11 or 12 games since the middle of July where, again, he's been on this hot streak, but it's all, it's all, it's been all singles and, you know, he's walk, he's still walking at a decent clip and all, and all that stuff. And that's all well and good. You know, you have to, he's a guy that, you know, it seems like other pitchers seem to have to respect and they don't, they're not going to, you know, pipe a fastball down the middle to him because I feel like he can punish that. But for a guy that you would think was making changes and was, seeing the benefits of changes he was making, we're not seeing the intended benefit of those changes other than he's hitting the ball more. You know what I mean? So it's an interesting guy to talk about because, again, he's on a real hot streak. And, you know, if this is just who he is and he's just, you know, he has some he has some raw power and will occasionally get a hold of one, but more often he's more of a hit-over-power guy, then that's fine. But for a guy that seemingly has all this raw power in his bat and was supposed to be making these changes to kind of get to it, it doesn't really look like he's getting to it as much as we were hoping. Now, again, had that stretch at the beginning of July where he had to hit a few home runs, it was hitting some doubles, so maybe that changes and maybe he's kind of slowly figuring it out. At least he's trying to figure out how to make, you know, make contact with the barrel of the bat. And then, you know, he can kind of go from there once he's figured that part out. But it's something that we're keeping an eye on. But it's not something that we're willing to say, okay, he's really made it. He's really turned a corner. It's more of a, hey, we're starting to see a positive development. But we've seen hot streaks from players before, and those have, in many cases, not turned out particularly well. Um, next question is a, is a roster one for 2020. And, Gaurav, I'm going to throw this to you first because you were talking about 2020. Uh, what are the chances that Christian Pache, Drew Waters, and Ian Anderson are all in Atlanta at some point in 2020? I think it, I think it, you know, it really depends on a variety of things. Um, Atlanta roster, first and foremost, is going to be most important if the, the Braves decide to go for another outfielder, then absolutely not. Uh, personally, I, I want to see continued production from, from Pache and Waters. Uh, they've been fantastic this year, but there have been stretches where they do, like for Pache, I have, there's, there's been like, not not particularly long ones, but like three or four games where he does seem unbalanced at the plate again. There's been like small little lapses, but for the most part, you know, he's been fantastic. The, of the three, I think Ian Anderson has the best opportunity to make the team. I think he's got the opportunity to make the team starting in spring training. I do not think he will make the team in spring training, but I do think he will be the first one up uh, up in Atlanta. If all three were to make it, I personally don't believe it would be until possibly September roster expansion like I, I I don't think they need to rush Pache and, and Waters right now I know a lot of people are saying there's nothing else they can prove but there's like super small things and in all honesty there's no reason for us to like push them too hard uh, unless you know unless you think you can win it all like Matt was talking about you put Pache on the on this playoff roster where he's just like this insane super sub where he comes in for de- defense he's on the I don't want to see him on the base pads, especially stealing bases. If he wants to run it after a hit, that's fantastic. But I don't want to see him trying to steal a base in the playoffs right now. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead and say, at some point, all at the same time, 30%. 30, 30, 35%. Matt, what about you, man? In Atlanta, at all, 100%. The Atlanta together, 33%. One in three chance of that happening. Maybe 40%, but I mean, I'll be there at some point individually. I'm, I'm actually going to take the under on, on those numbers, and here's my reasoning. I think that it's very likely that Ian Anderson's going to get a real shot at some point in 2020. The talent's too good. He's, you know, progressing at the rate you want him to. And for a team that seems to be struggling to find the guy that's going to be taking one of these rotation spots, he could very, he has the stuff to just lock in a rotation spot. You know, it's not really a debatable thing and he just locks onto it. And 
that could happen out of spring training. I find that's unlikely, more of like a mid-season type guy for me, but it could realistically happen. I think the most likely thing to happen is one of Pache or Waters is is in Atlanta. I would bet on Pache in this particular scenario. I think that Waters would benefit from getting a lot of at-bats against more advanced pitching because with his aggressive approach to the plate, you kind of want to see what he can do given more at-bats and kind of getting those at-bats to be better, whereas Pache, his floor, even if he's not hitting as well as necessarily you would like, you at very least would get that sort of defensive value and as well as kind of his ability to run the base paths, although Garav is certainly right that right now I would prefer him to at least get some more coaching on when to steal and, you know, getting his jumps accordingly and all that. So, you know, again, has that speed, but it hasn't really translated to, like, you know, stealing bases speed. But in terms of, like, taking first to third or scoring from first on, you know, on, on balls he shouldn't be able to score from first from and, you know, running out in the outfield, you know, he has that tool readily available to him. The problem becomes is when you're getting both of those guys in the outfield because right now do we see – oh, there's a realistic chance that the Braves will, at the very least, give the qualifying offer to Josh Donaldson at third base, which means that Austin Riley – Depending on what you're you're projecting for him, at the very least, you know is going to be looking is 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 going to be needing a spot somewhere. Then you factor in Adam Duvall, and you factor in possibly a free agent acquisition. You know Ronald Acuna Jr. is not going anywhere. Ender Enciarte probably should get traded at this point because he doesn't necessarily fit super well into this, uh, especially if you're promoting Pache because you basically have a better version of Ender Enciarte in Christian Pache, right? But when you're trying to put both of them two rookies. In the outfield with Acuna, it's much harder when you have other options that seem to be have some value one way or the other. Again, Austin Riley, what he ends up being, you know, that it's very hard for me to see a world where both of those guys are in the outfield at the same time because of so many other options that are in play right now. That can change very quickly. Guys get dealt away, guys fall off, and you know, or maybe Donaldson doesn't get the qualifying offer and he's not a Brave in 2020, and then Riley slides slides over to third base and you know he's hitting fine there, but. Getting both of those guys in the outfield right now, at least for 2020, getting them all in there at the same time, that's much tougher for me. So I, I would probably say it's like 10% for me to get all three of those guys at the same time. Um, now at some point, again, if I feel like if one guy is getting shots every now and again, whether it be for injuries or whatever, then I think that's possible. But I don't think they're going to like add both of them to the 40-man roster and just say, well, it's, it's Drew Waters' chance to be up there or it's Pache's chance to be up there. So... I think two of the three have a very, very good chance. All three, though, that's a little tougher. And again, you don't have to rush these guys. This roster, this roster is really, really good. You don't have like a gaping hole that you have to fill with both of those guys, or you can give them the chance to progress through the minors. You're not have to rush someone up and then hope that they figure it out in the minor, in the major league. That's just me. Um, the next one's kind of a more of a general question, uh, one that I also like. And it's, what is your biggest surprise player of 2019, good or bad? Matt, I'm going to throw this to you first. I'm struggling with this one. I don't really think that there's anyone that's been a huge surprise. Maybe Victor Vodnik was a lot better than what I expected him to be this early on. I thought he would need a little bit more time to become anything significant, but... Who really has been what you consider a surprise? Well, Trey Harris has definitely been a surprise, I don't think. I mean, I think I was more optimistic than most on him going back to the draft, but I was never this optimistic on him. So, yeah, either Harris or Botnick, I'd have to say, but the only mild surprises. Gaurav, what about you, man? So for, for biggest positive surprise, I totally have Trey Harris. Uh, I wasn't, I was not as high on him as Matt was. That doesn't mean that I didn't think he was, I think he was a solid player, but I did not expect him to perform at this level at all. Like he's been an absolute monster for the entire organization, starting down from a ball up to, you know, Florida and now Mississippi. He's been gracing three different organizations with his presence and playing well. So that's been awesome. My two biggest disappointments were actually two of my top prospects that I was hoping for this year, and that's CJ Alexander and, and Trey Riley. You know, CJ's had trouble. We went, we talked about it in that late, so I won't talk too much about that. The 167 Babbitt is just nuts. Trey Riley, super raw. You know, it was going to take time. He's just struggling really hard. You know, seven, almost a seven ERA. He's got an 850 OPS against. He's got an almost a two point something whip. Like he's not having a good season. 
I totally understand. I'm not losing stock on him. He still has an amazing fastball slider combo, but it's just going to take, perhaps it's going to take longer than I expected for his development. Uh, I didn't expect any, I didn't expect big numbers from him this year. I was not expecting these kind of bad numbers, but again, doesn't, I don't, I'm not necessarily down on either of them at all. It's just one of those, one of those years, right? Just one of those years. Things happen. Yeah, I think you guys hit the the right names on the head. I, I do want to throw Bryce Ball in there simply because there's always seems to be one twentieth or later round pick that we're talking about in like real prospect terms, and a guy like that who's just you know a college first baseman who hits for, who hit for some power. They're, they they exist throughout college baseball, and then we find the one that is you know cranking out home runs at a prodigious rate and in the highest level of rookie ball right now. Always fun to talk about guys like that, kind of coming out of nowhere and really doing really good work. Tree Harris is a pretty easy selection simply because you just didn't think – everyone thought he could hit reasonably well, but he made a mockery of low A and was hitting better than he had any right to be in high A before kind of the summer weather started kicking up. Gets promoted to double A, just keeps hitting. And, you know, getting promoted three levels as a guy who was a late-round pick and, you know, wasn't really considered to be an important prospect. And now he's a real bat that's, you know, lurking in the minors. And, again, he's not going to have provide a ton of defensive value. It's He's kind of a weird, you know, tweener in terms of where you play him. But that bat's going to play. And I, I am pleasantly surprised at how good he is. I didn't have him ranked in my top 30 at all to start the year. And now he's, you know, healthily in our teens. May very well go up as the year goes on, depending on how A treats him the rest of the way. But... Overall, just really a pleasant surprise. And I'm with Garav on Trey Riley. You know, (laughs) I have talked to multiple people about him uh, down in Rome, and he seems to be the unluckiest pitcher on the face of the earth. If there is a ball loss, if a ball is going to be lost in the sun or a dribbler is going to, you know, not go foul or, you know, a ball is going to take a weird bounce, it's going to be against Trey Riley. And it seems to happen a lot. And it's pretty frustrating where you see, you know, a third baseman making a, you know, a bad read on a ground ball and, you know, not charging properly or, you know, again, a ball, you know, balls getting lost in the sun, you know, weird things happening that result in extra base hits and stuff like that. It, the stuff is still very intriguing, and none of us here are writing him off, but it's something that we have to kind of take into account. We have to be somewhat results-oriented, especially when things aren't going as well. Then he's, you know, his stuff seems to start backing up, and he starts to, you know, trying to throw more, throw more strikes because he already has these base runners that he probably honestly shouldn't have to begin with. And you have to be able to manage those situations if you're a professional. And so far, he hasn't been able to do that successfully, but it's really, it's a really live arm. Um, I also liked uh, Matt's pick of Victor Vodnik. You know, again, we kind of knew him as a guy that we liked as, you know, a pitcher. But, you know, when he starts throwing, you know, triple-digit gas and, you know, all of a sudden he's making his way to a starter and has been, has been Rome's player of the month already once. And, you know, he's, he, he's, a, he's a very live arm. And multiple people have told me and have told others of us that he is a guy to keep an eye on because it's a really live arm. Uh, I want to lump uh, Freddie Tarnock into the, uh, the kind of the surprise and the bad part. I really thought he was going to take a step forward this year. Again, another really live arm, built to be could be like one of the better bodies of a pitcher that you could ask for, and just has not, you know, was has been injured and has not really worked out well for him since he's been in high A, which is the place he should be able to thrive in. So that's been pretty disappointing. But overall, I mean, the, all these guys have a chance to work things out. And for, as for the surprises, they're very pleasant. We hope we, they continue to do what they're doing. Uh, we're going to do one more question before we sign off, uh, because as predicted, we are going to be running close to an hour rather than actually short, which is what I thought was going to happen. And I have to ask this question because it's hysterically funny to me. Um, one, The question was, and it's kind of had a, had, I had a follow-up question, is Shoemaker is climbing up some lists. If he adds some power, what is his ceiling? And the follow-up is, how much will Shoemaker need to hit for him to end up being Matt Power's version of the Matt Rowland wanted to trade Ozzy Albies joke? Matt? No comment. The floor. <laughs> no comment. No comment. Um, he's going to need to do two things for me to get to that point. He is going to need to hit 20 to 25 homers every year on average, and he's going to be have to be better than Daniel Espino. Not equal to Daniel Espino, but better than Daniel Espino. That reason for that is he took full slot to sign. Espino, who was picked a couple picks later, ended up signing under slot. Had Espino signed under slot, we would have had not only Espino, 
but we would have had that money, which could have gone and signed another one of those players, another Backstrom, Morton, Grissom type of player on day three. So it's not just Espino versus Shoemaker at this point. It is Espino and unknown player X equal to Shoemaker for me. All right, Gaurav. For us, since we're going to be the ones that are going to be making fun of Matt if this happens, it's an important standard for us to have. What is your standard for having to kind of be kind of happy with the shoemaker pick? You know, it's 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 going to be tough. It's an uphill battle because I was, you know, I kind of rode the Espino train because of how much Matt talked about him, and I kind of fell in love with him as a pro. I fell in love, but I I I thought it would be a good pick. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to say because right now I think Shoemaker is doing what you expect him to do in in Rome. Like he's an advanced college bat. This is kind of what he should be doing. Uh, I I I would just need to see more against higher level for me to really really kind of project what his ceiling would be because I I would expect someone like him to perform like this. It's just like Angleiers like. At Rome, I would, I would want similar kind of production that Shoemaker is having, but I understand that one, one that we're talking about Shay, I know we're not talking about Shay, we're supposed to talk about Shoemaker, but like the, this is again evaluating talent post draft. For, for, for Langoliers, it's, it's tough because he's already caught in a full season for him and now he's doing almost close to 40 additional games, so there's going to be wear and tear. I'm sure the conditioning is not there. So I don't necessarily, I'm not impacted by, or I don't have a negative evaluation of Langlers despite his, like, I think it was almost a sub-600 OPS so far. Um, I just need to see Shoe make more. I need to see him next year. I need to be able to, to be able, I want to see him against more against pitching because, again, this is how he should be performing against this caliber of talent. So I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm the high man on Shoemake amongst the three of us. I actually really do like him. Uh, every time I've seen him in Rome, he's hit the ball hard, and he's performed well in the field. Now, I will say this. One, I'm not a big fan of the swing, particularly the stance. It's kind of this open stance that really – and it's a really level swing where it kind of lends itself to hard line drives at best. Um, but, again, it's hard contact. I mean, exit below is over 100, you know, fairly regularly. But it's hard to get lost the way he's with his swing unless he's really kind of diving for a ball that's down low, and it's not. He, and putting on weight, you know, he's a really skinny guy, like really skinny. So putting on more some more muscle, I feel like that would add to his power. But I think most of the issues that you're going to have is making adjustments to his swing. Maybe they don't want him to do that. Um, and I have heard that there's there's definitely some legitimate concerns about his ability to stick at shortstop. Every time I've seen him, he's looked good. But I did hear he was he's been you know short running short running arming throws at times. It's not a range issue. It's just more kind of how the arm is playing. So maybe he ends up as a second baseman. Or what I think is the most likely scenario is that he's a kind of a utility guy where you can play him at short, but you don't necessarily want to play him every day at short. You know, play him at second base. You can move him around a bit. Um, and you know, the, he has a real hit tool. In terms of a ceiling, I mean, like, I guess a guy like a, you know, like a Ben Zobris type where he can, can move around a bit. And if he can get some loft in the swing, he actually can add some power. So I, I think it's a possibility. How possible that is, I don't really know because I don't think that, I know for certain that the Braves are not telling either of those guys, Langoliers or Shoemake, to make any changes this year. I think that what they're doing is just kind of get comfortable with pro ball, kind of see what they have and see what they do against professionals before they make any changes. I will say that, you know, in Langoliers case, you know, maybe some, maybe some kind of changes to kind of getting his load where he's, he had, functionally when I've seen him, he has basically two different swings. You know, when he's hit, swinging for power, it's very clear. And I wonder if pitchers can pick up on that and maybe decide to throw like, you know, an off-speed pitch there when he's really trying to turn on a ball and versus one where he's trying to make contact. And he is a guy that's been getting a little bit unlucky. He's hits the ball as hard like right at guys. I'm, I've been in a couple games where he just seems like he's been, he smoked a ball and it was just right at a third baseman or right at an outfielder. But, you know, it's, the changes for Langoliers at the plate, I think are relatively small. Um, he does have this weird habit, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, is that defensively, he, he's really good. He made a really good pickoff throw at first base uh, the last time I saw him, where the guy had literally no chance to, to, to get back in time. Uh, really quick move over. When when a ball goes in the dirt and he's having to hunt it down, he doesn't flip his mask off. 
And I know that I've seen some guys do that, but it feels like that's a, that's a vision thing that I wonder if that's something that the Braves will try to change. Where, you know, the ball's in the dirt and it's gotten away from him. He, you know, he rips that mask off so he can get a better view of things. But other than that, I mean, he's not a guy that I'm super concerned with. As for Shoemake, I would like to see some change, swing changes. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can change one swing to get power and, you know, what a guy's most comfortable with, whether they be minor changes or to a complete overhaul. But as constituted, it's a little bit tough to kind of see him getting to a ton more power because he's already a college bat, you know, and same thing for his frame. People talk about his frame being projectable, but he's a college guy. I mean, his body might just be what it is. He might just be a skinny guy. And in which case, how much more power can you realistically expect for him to have? Maybe that, maybe some swing changes get him some more. And obviously if you get the triple A, you don't really have to be that much, that good of a hitter at all to hit 15 or 20 home runs there. So, so to make the, in, in short, for us to make, the joke about to, to Matt about this is very similar to the trade Aussie thing. He needs to be a major leaguer and a productive one, and that can be coming in a lot of different ways. There are guys that with his pro, like a hitter's profile, like Shumay currently has, that are very good players. Uh, I think he'd have to be a little bit more better defensively than maybe he's projected that right now to be that guy. But you know, as if he's a really good utility guy that puts up, you know, a, a, a productive is a productive major leaguer who gets a bunch of at bats. I'm definitely going to make fun of Matt a lot. Um, although I truly respect, and I and I've told Matt this, I truly respect the amount of love he has for Daniel Espino because I have been known to fall in love with certain prospects from time to time. And I, you know, Matt has not wavered. Even though Espino did not become a Brave, I don't think there's a bigger Daniel Espino fan than Matt Powers. Like I don't uh, think that you close. are correct, and I have followed everything that he has done down in Arizona, and I am going to continue following everything he does in his path to the big leagues the same way I did with many other prospects who came up in other systems. Uh, you know how big of a fan of Vladdy Jr. I am and have been for years. Yep. So it, it, this is just going to be the next Vladdy Jr. for me. Yep, my apologies to Matt for all that Kevin Maiton at merchandise that I'm sure is in a closet somewhere where he weeps in the dark night when he realizes that one, he's not a brave anymore, and two, he's not particularly good. But, you know, Matt, Matt, Matt loves his guys, and we love Matt for it because, honestly, more often than not, he's right. And we do our best to be right, and what we are going to do, though, is understand that when a guy isn't, you know, the guy that we were hoping for, at least we give them the benefit of the doubt and we'll at least cover them to the best of our abilities. I will so, say I did not actually see my town in person at any point. I did. Oh, that's right. You didn't because we missed him in the GCL by like four days or something like that. That's right. We never yep. did get to see him. Uh-huh. And yep. he, we didn't get to see him after that because he was gone after that season. So I never got a chance to see him in person. Espino, on the other hand, I actually have seen him in person. So when I'm wrong about a prospect that I have not seen in person, it's a little different, I think. But... I mean, I was still wrong, but this <laughs> this guy. Just, I, and in fairness, a lot of people were wrong about Maiton, right? Like everyone, I mean, a lot of a lot of people liked him a lot. There was nobody that was right about him. Everybody was high on him, whether it was as high as people like me and the rest of us were, or even guys that had him in the top hundred before he ever played a game. Everybody had him very highly ranked. Nobody can say that they did not rank him very high. So everybody was wrong there, but yeah, it's uh, one of my favorite moments from the, that GCL trip was where like Matt would be listening to like the Danville radio call on his phone while we were driving around Florida, uh, waiting to get all those Maiton bats. It was hysterically. This actually happened, and as Maiton would come up, the radio broadcast on the car would actually be on, and we would be listening to Nick calling the Danville games. Yep, it happened all the time, like like for multiple days in a row. So. Um, anyway, that's just kind of more of a fun story. Thank you again so much to everyone who's been supporting the podcast. Uh, everyone, the, the amount of the downloads and all that stuff has been really, the podcast has been doing super duper well, and we really appreciate it. And also, thank you to our new patrons. We've had, we've had a few new patrons come in uh, f- fairly recently. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, and that's kind of what I'm talking about with this patronage stuff, uh, is you go to our Twitter account at Road the Number Two Atlanta, and the pinned tweet is a link to our Patreon page, and it allows you to donate whatever amount that you want. Uh, there's currently some incentives that don't really apply anymore because it involves the website that is now is now defunct. But we're going to try to work on getting something for you know some incentives for the larger you know the larger tiers of support. Uh, we have to figure out how, how, what exactly we're going to do. But if you want to donate a dollar a month, if you want to donate you know a hundred dollars a month, please don't do that. That's a little bit too much. But um, you know 
if you want to donate, that's the, and if you want to support the podcast, that's the best way to do it. You just go there, you link, you know, you just go in. It's a completely secure thing where you just want to, you can set up monthly where you, each month you, a certain amount is donated. You know, it's $5, it's $10. And we've had some really great support of late and we really appreciate that because ultimately, you know, we don't get to do this without you guys listening to us. We don't get to do this without your support and we are very appreciative of it. So. Yes. Very, and this will only allow us to do more things like possibly a trip next spring. Yeah, hopefully if, you know, all goes according to plan, we can actually get Matt to move down to the state of Georgia, and then we can, you know, trips to, you know, having him go to trips on various places, whether it be Rome, which is really close where I am, uh, Gwinnett, which, you know, Gravis made trips to, Garrett occasionally makes trips to, and then, you know, possibly Mississippi. Uh, I don't think we're going to go to Florida again because my experience is that it just rains every day there, and that doesn't seem very fun in terms of trying to make that trip. But uh, <laughs> I would know. like to go to a spring training. Oh, it's a new facility? Well, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely yes. a real, that, that's definitely a real point. We, we can float that idea out there. That makes more sense. At the very least, if we fold it into like being able to do some more recreational stuff too. But we'll we, we we'll kind of get into that. The short version is: if you continue to support the podcast, and if we can get that account get that account up and rolling and getting those patrons back into the fold, we're going to do some cool stuff and we'll have some really cool content for you guys. And again, thank you again for all the support, for listening, for downloading. All that stuff means a lot and it does help the podcast a lot. So make sure you're sharing. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, all you have to do is find, look for the Talking Chop feed on iTunes or whatever purveyor of podcasts you choose. And if you subscribe to the Talking Chop feed, not only do you get that podcast, which is hosted by Brad, I occasionally pop in. I'm going to be popping in this Sunday, actually. You also get this one. So it's two podcasts for one. And we really appreciate all the support that we've been getting just from being on that feed and ultimately, you know, from listeners like you guys. It's been an absolute joy to do this again. I get to talk to some of my best friends and we get to talk about minor league baseball. We do it every day, you know, just in DMs, but, you know, getting able to talk about what's going on out there in minor league baseball is our, is ultimately our passion and we've been doing it for a long time and getting it to share it with all of you guys means a lot to us. So anyways, thanks a lot guys. Show should be back next week, next Thursday. We'll see what the content's going to be. Maybe I'll reach out and we'll try to get a guest on. We haven't had one on in a little while. And we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there, and we'll let you know what's going to be happening then. But until next time, we'll see you on the road.